Well, we're calling this Sunday Dream Sunday because I believe the language of the Spirit, the language of the Holy Spirit is dreams. And our imagination is a God-given gift. It can be used for good, but it also can be used for evil. In fact, any good gift that God's given us, the enemy loves to sell a counterfeit. And uh, dreaming is part of our, our nature, is part of the way that we've been designed. And for you and I to dream about our future is an important thing to do. In fact, I challenge to say that we are walking towards whatever picture that we have on the inside. So it's so important that you and I carry a, dr- a God dream in this season. Many people's lives can be dictated to by their circumstances, by their surroundings, by popular opinion. But we need to be led by the Word of God and His promise. And we need to get His promise in our heart and we need to meditate on it and dream as to what God can do in and through our lives. And I'm so encouraged to be part of a group of people who love to dream. In fact, we're living today in the dream of what God spoke to us many years ago. And I believe the challenge of where we are right now is to keep on dreaming. Who would have thought years ago would have 40 locations around the world, 23 here in New Zealand. But God's been faithful to that dream. We just dreamed. And uh, as we have been faithful, God's brought that dream about. I believe in the next season, as we create room, God's going to come and fill every space where we create room for Him to move. But just quickly, I want to take you to Psalm 84. Let's go to Psalm 84, verse 11. It says, For the Lord our God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. Isn't that good news? He gives us grace and glory. Listen to this though. It says, The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. He will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. One thing about our God is He's not a holdout. He doesn't want to hold back anything that's good. And sometimes the difference between a good thing and a bad thing can be timing. And right now you might be in a situation where you think, God, where are you? You know, how come you're not doing this? But I want to say God's not holding out. In fact, He operates in His timing. And one thing I found out about God is God's timing is perfect. It goes on, verse 12, it says, O Lord of heaven's army, what joy for those who trust in you. I believe there's such a joy when we trust our lives into the hands of God, knowing that God's got a better plan for our life than we've got for ourselves. Of late, I've been reading about the law of reverse effort, the law of reverse effort. And the law of reverse effort really uh, goes along the lines that uh, about the harder you try to achieve something or go after something, and the more you strive for it, the less likely you are to achieve it. It's almost like the, the harder you try, the worse it gets. You ever been in a situation where you come across a person you should know, you, you should know their name, but their name escapes your memory? And you try really hard to remember their name. And the harder you try and remember the, their name, the less likely you are to remember it. In fact, it often won't come to you till you're in a relaxed state. And then when you're in that relaxed state, it's, oh, that's their name. In fact, I remember at university, uh, you know, I'd cruise through high school. 
Uh, in fact, high school, I went to play sport and eat my lunch more than anything else. But I managed to pass through high school by God's grace. And uh, university, first year of university was a repeat of year 13 or seventh form for those who are a little bit old out there. So I went through the first year of university. But I was just the average student. I was a B student. And I thought, I need to try and apply myself better and go after an A. So I, I worked really hard in my second year of university. I applied myself, you know, try really hard to get that A. Come the end of the semester, I got a D. <laughs> That's right. I failed. It was almost like the harder I tried, the worse it became. And th this is the law of reverse efforts. It, I'm not saying don't try, but I'm saying there's something that happens when we operate from a relaxed state. In fact, if we do without doing, it's almost like the job gets done. So many people in this world are, are trying to do the, the striving after things and, and they're wondering why those things are at a distance. I, I believe as believe, well, I believe as Christians that when we understand who we are in God, uh, He positions us. It means that we can be who He's called us to be. And from the place of being, He empowers us to do the things that He's called us to do. You know, you ever got so nervous? Maybe you had an opportunity to speak somewhere and beforehand you had it all clear in your mind. But the moment you got up, your nerves took over and everything just evaporated from your head in a moment. I'm sure many of us have been in that space. They say when it comes to sports, uh, players play better when they just play the game that's in front of them. When they're relaxed, they can see the opportunities. And I believe right now, God's got so many opportunities in front of us. And for us to take hold of those opportunities, it's going to require us to be in, the, in a state where we're, we're not lazy, but, but, but we're relaxed. In fact, the, the law of reverse effort can even be highlighted in, in sleep because sleep is a subconscious process. How many have tried to will themselves to sleep? It's like the, uh, the harder you try to get to sleep, the more awake you become. And, and the more you think about sleeping and tell yourself to sleep, it's like, oh, oh man, I can't get to sleep. And what we're going to understand is, is that our imagination is more powerful than willpower. A lot of people, when it comes to their life and their future, it's like they're operating by their willpower, but they don't understand the power of their imagination. Right now, if I was to put a plank on this floor and just tell you to walk over it, many of us would just go, yeah, that's easy. I can walk over it. But, but if I take that same plank and I put it between two high-rise buildings, how many know you're going to be a little bit more cautious when you walk over it because suddenly your imagination kicks into gear as to what could go wrong? Now, I believe we need to use our imagination when it comes to God's purpose and God's plan as to what He wants to do through our life and what could go right. So your imagination is more powerful than your willpower. And it's a God-given gift that He's given us to dream. The Bible says that He'll pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And it talks about how old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. And I believe this is a day where we need to dream a God dream. Come on, wherever you are right now, say, I'm going to dream a God dream. And one thing I've found out about a God dream is a God dream always is a dream that outlasts your life. 
Because God's not just concerned about our here and now. God's concerned about the next generation and what flows from our life. A, a God dream is different to any other dream. See, many people have dreams for houses. They have dreams for cars. But let's be a people who carry a dream for our children's children. Proverbs talks about that, that a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. I don't know about you, but when it comes to the end of my time, I want to be known as a good person because I've left an inheritance for my children's children. In fact, I love the words of the last verse in the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. It talks about how God will turn, listen to this, He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and then He'll turn the hearts of the children to their parents. He says, or else, if that doesn't happen, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. I really believe we need to carry a dream where the hearts of parents are turned to the children. Notice what takes place. First, the hearts of parents turn to the children, and then the children will turn to their parents. You know, a, a lot of people today you know, got kids and they, they go, man, I, I'm doing it for the kids. It's all for the kids. You know, first birthdays, you know, uh, it can be very elaborate today. And people go, oh, it's all for the kids. But I go, yeah, really? They don't even really know what's going on. But they go, oh, it's all for the kids, you know, little kids with Jordans on. It's all for the kids. Really? It's good for us to want our kids to look good. But is it really all for the kids? We are, it's a good thing to want the best for your, your babies. You know, in fact, what parent doesn't want the best for their children? You know, we give our all for our, our kids and a lot of parents would say, our, our kids don't just have our hearts, they have our wallets, they have our time driving them around, they have our attention. Now, a lot of people say, well, my heart has already turned to the, my children. But have the question I want to ask is, have our hearts really turned? Society would say, yeah, yeah, it has. Look at all the child protection laws that we've got out there. Look at all the legislation that's been passed through. You know, our kids have more options in school than they've ever had before, more subjects than when I went to school. Our kids have resources. They, they, they have freedom. But, but then it leaves the question. You know, in fact, I ask the question, but, but then why? Is there an increase in child poverty? Why is domestic violence on the rise? Why, why is child abuse, why is there a child abuse out there? Why right now in our society is there a mental health epidemic? You know, suicide rates are on the, on the increase. If you look at the, the stats, a, a, a teenage boy in New Zealand is three times more likely to commit suicide than a teenage boy in Australia, think about that. You know, three hours flight, three and a half hours flight, it's like a teenage boy is less likely in Australia to commit suicide than a teenage boy in New Zealand. We're, we've got some issues that need confronting. And I believe legislation will not bring the change. Yes, it helps, but God needs to turn the hearts. See, see, in many cases, our, our children are better educated. They have more, more, more resources than previous generations. But in a lot of places, when it comes to soul prosperity, they're no better off. 
our, our society in a lot of places, we've increased speed. We're doing things at a faster pace, but uh, we haven't considered the direction we're going in. It's almost like we're going fast nowhere, but we're making record time. You know, we have more choices than we ever had before. You think about our, our television stations. I remember the day when there was only two channels. Yeah, two channels, two options. Today we have choices, hundreds of TV stations, but it doesn't mean that the content has improved. So we've got more choices without, without Im- improvement in a lot of places. Yeah, I want to say, Equipers Church in a lot of places, well, our heart, not just in a lot of places, but our heart, our drive has always been to set a platform to reach the next generation. And that's not at the expense of an older generation. But I really believe God wants to move where He turns the hearts of the parents, the hearts of those who are a little bit older towards the younger you know, if you're a little bit older out there, I'm not saying you're excluded from this because here's the deal. Kids will never fulfill their potential in life. They'll never fulfill their potential unless we're fulfilling ours. You know, I pray for my kids that they stand on the shoulders of my life, that they take this thing that God's entrusted to me further. They do more with it. I don't want them just standing on my dead corpse. I want them to go further than I've gone. And we've got to have that desire for our children. See, a lot of parents, you know, want their kids just to experience the same thing that they experienced. If they ran the 100 meters, it's almost like their kids have got to start back at the start line and run the same 100 meters. How many know we don't move forward? The kingdom doesn't move forward when that happens. The kingdom is like a relay race where we pass the baton onto the next generation and they run a new 100 meters. And I believe it's, it's our responsibility as those who are a little bit older to fulfill our potential so our kids can fulfill theirs. In fact, one of the greatest leadership principles in life I've found, it's really simple, it sounds a little bit crazy, but I believe it, it's profound, it's important for us to understand. And here's, here it is, it's, it's monkey see, monkey do. Monkey see, monkey do. Uh, leadership is tied up in that big time. Uh, parents today can put a lot of weight in schools and programs and even churches to develop their kids. You know, I, I feel for a lot of teachers out there right now. If you're a teacher listening to this, I feel for you because the weight of expectation that some parents put on you is huge. It's like you've got to sort out their kids. Sometimes that translates into a church environment. It's like my, my kids are messed up. I bring them to church and they say, you sort them out. And in fact, I heard one pastor say, you know, that's a huge expectation because you have them six days a week and you bring them to church once in a while and you expect us to sort out their whole life. And it's almost like your dysfunction was displayed in the last six weeks and we have to undo it in one. <laughs> yeah, when it comes Two, us fulfilling our potential and and our kids fulfilling theirs, they're looking at us. And Christianity can't be just locked up into a Sunday service that we do for an hour and a half once a week. It needs to be modelled in our homes. See, without a focus on the next generation in terms of equipping them and seeing them reach their God-given potential, the church is in danger of dying out in two to three generations. 
I was talking to a, a church leader recently, and he was saying that we're losing our young people. In fact, he had many community initiatives that he was involved in, and, and they were doing a great job in the community. But when it came to those people attending church, it was like they will come into the church and they'll think, well, this is different to that. And there was no, they couldn't relate. There was no connection. That's why at Equipage Church, we want to speak the language of the day. Uh, the message rings true through the generations, but the way that we communicate, it needs to change. It needs to be different so that we can reach the younger generation. See, a, a lot of people go to church because that they like music in a certain style. But our young people aren't connecting with that style and we're wondering why they're not coming to church. In fact, my wife was talking to some woman of late and, and they're saying we're losing our kids because our, our kids haven't found a youth ministry that they can connect with, where they can discover God in. I want to say the reason why we do church the way that we do church is because we feel like God's turned our hearts towards the next generation. See, by nature, you and I are selfish. Let's be honest right now. Without God, we can live selfish lives. And it can be about the me, the my, the I, and, and we can forget about the next generation. I really believe God wants to change the, the default settings of our life. He wants to change our, our reflex responses so that we can serve the next generation. A lot of people out there, willpower can say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it for the kids but they haven't changed their imagination and we need to dream about what the, the church is going to look like for our children. What are they going to inherit? I love Isaiah chapter 11. In fact, Isaiah chapter 11 is a, a messianic prophecy. It's about Jesus and it talks about in verse 2 how the, about the Spirit of God will rest upon Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding and the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of the, the knowledge and the fear of the Lord will rest upon Him. But in verse 6, then it goes on and gives some crazy pictures that I, I didn't fully understand until I went out to dinner with my mates and, and we had had our main and he ordered dessert and I ordered dessert. I think I ordered creme brulee that day, but he ordered a bowl of broccoli. Yeah, it sounds a little bit crazy and it was crazy because he ordered broccoli for dessert. Who does that? Not me. When I think of dessert, I think of ice cream, I think of creme brulee, I think of apple crumble, I think of things like that. I know I'm making some people hungry right now, uh, but that's what I think of. But he goes, well, I, I just felt like broccoli. And I go, who feels like broccoli? Not me. Not me, but, but he just felt like it. Now, I know that broccoli is a good food and I can eat it by my willpower, but it's not something I desire. But you've got to get this. When the Spirit of God comes and the language of the Spirit is dreams, dreams and visions, when the Spirit of God comes, He touches our imagination where, where broccoli doesn't just become a good food. It doesn't become just the right decision. It becomes a desired thing. How do you know whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit or not? It's when you can order broccoli for dessert. Because what happens is there has to be a nature change on the inside. And, and for us to see a church that reaches the next generation, there needs to be a nature change in us. And in Isaiah, it talks about this. It talks about how the wolf in verse 6 shall also dwell with the lamb. I don't know about you, but I've never seen that on the Discovery Channel. I've seen the wolf eat the lamb. 
I've never seen a wolf dwelling with a lamb. But, but when the Spirit of God comes, what will happen is God will change the nature of the wolf so that it can dwell with the lamb. It goes on, it says, a leopard shall lie down with the young goat. My question to you today is, can a leopard change its spots? Some of you said, well, I am this way and I can't change it. Who I am, you just got to accept me for who I am. Yeah, here's the deal. God loves you unconditionally. He loves you where you are right now, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. And He wants to change our nature. I grew up as a shy, insecure pastor's kid. But I had to realize that shyness was not one of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, in Galatians 5, it's not love, joy, peace, patience, shyness. Shyness isn't there. You know, the Bible says the righteous shall be as bold as a lion. And when the Spirit came of God has come upon me and has been outworked in my life, I found I've overcome that shyness in a lot of places. Can a leopard change its spots? Some of you say, well, my parents struggled with it. I'm going to struggle with it. No, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, He changes your nature. It goes on and it says, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. What's it going to take for a little child to lead a lion? It's going to take a move of God. It goes on and it says, the lion, just jumping down, the lion shall eat straw like an ox. That's a radical change. That's like a dairy farmer becoming a vegetarian. See, here's the deal. In society today, we know what's right. We know it's right to look after our kids. We've got to do it for the kids. That's why we're putting in all these laws. It's the right thing to do. But my question is, has there been a change of nature? Because if there hasn't, we'll just default back to selfishness. And that's why legislation is good. But what changes the heart of a nation is a, is a move of the Spirit of God. And, and we've got to see this. And when it comes to church, we're in danger of losing the next generation. We're in danger of two to, in two to three generations of becoming extinct simply because our focus is not on it. Come on, I want to challenge you today. What is the church that your children are going to experience and inherit? I just quickly got some thoughts for you. You know, I want my children to grow up in a church and inherit a church. Number one, that presents Jesus and the gospel in a real and a compelling way. How I many know there's nothing wrong with the message? There has been problems with the messenger over time and the method. The message deserves the best, the best method of communication. Come on, we need to speak the language of the day. I'm very old school when it comes to the Bible. The Bible is our final authority. But the ways that we present and deliver the message needs to be relevant to our generation. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. There's nothing wrong with the message. Come on, we've got to reach this next generation in a relevant way. The second thing, I want to create an environment where there's opportunities for our young people to encounter the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live the lives that God's called us to. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own ability. We need His Holy Spirit. That's why I want my children to have encounters with the Holy Spirit. In fact, my 12-year-old just recently, you know, she had been prayed for before and experienced something, but she was questioning it and doubting it. And so in my home, I said, hey, 
where you're at with this, Sophia, I, and, and I asked her, can I pray for her? And I got her sisters together and all with tears in our eyes. In our, in our eyes, we prayed for her. And in that moment, she got filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, we need to create encounters with God where people can encounter Him, not just have a belief about God. So many people's Christianity is left into an ideology and a philosophy. I believe God wants to give us an experience of Him. He wants you to experience His love today. He wants you to know it in your heart. You know, I want to, our church, our children to grow up in a church where they, they, they live with open doors. There's open doors to process things, to ask questions, to access wisdom of those who have gone before, where they're not shut off, where they can open up about their questions, about their struggles, and they can find God in the middle of them. I, I want to grow up in a church. I want our kids, should I say, to grow up in a church where, where there's an integration in the celebration of cultures. See, in many places, you know, there's just people who look the same, who act the same, are from the same background. I believe the proof that God's at work is that there's a crossing over of cultures, of age groups, of demographics. That represents the kingdom in a lot of places. See, in the world today, people gravitate to people who are like themselves. But I, I see a church that's able to cross over. And the only way that that can happen is by God's grace. Yeah, I see a church where, where, where young people have the, the freedom to give it a go and the permission to give it a go. Have a big dream. See, I believe you can't serve a big God and have a small dream. Come on, let's dream big together. And, and young people have a permission to give it a go, but also the security to fail. You know, I want our children to grow up in a church where, where, where they have an autonomy to make decisions. But also they've learned what it is to take responsibility for their actions. You know, we live in a world today that's blaming everything for the way that things are. You know, yeah, I, I have the autonomy to make decisions but I also have, have the responsibility that's attached to those decisions. You know, a church where, where, where people are disciplined in a right way, in a, in a loving way. Discipline is, is not a bad thing. It's not something you do to a person. It's something that you do for a person. And without, without a level of discipline in our lives, we can wander all over the place. Yeah, you know, I, I want our children to grow up in a church where, where they're celebrated and resourced, where, where, where they don't have a poverty mindset. And when I talk about poverty, I'm not talking about how much money you got in your bank account or in your pocket right now. I'm talking about a mindset because we serve a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills and there's no limit and lack to what He can do. And so I want our young people to grow up you know, with, with, a, with a spirit that, that just believes that God can provide for every dream. See, when my kids go shopping, how I many know they don't go shopping through the eyes of their own resources? <laughs> and, and the same should be for you and I when it comes to God's dream and God, what, what God wants to do through our lives. You know, we don't need to go shopping through the eyes of our own resources. We have the backing of heaven. You know, I want our kids to grow up in a positive, aspirational culture for the things of God. Now, not just for a group of people just to come and do their religious duty on a Sunday and appease their conscience, but no, a group of people who are passionate about the things of God. 
You know, I want our children to grow up in a church where it's fun and desirable and it's creative and energetic. Yeah, you know, a church where, where, where young people know how to pray, know the power of prayer, of connecting with God, who know how to worship, who know how, how to fight when opposition comes. Not earthly opposition, but principalities and powers that, that are out to destroy young people's lives. Come on, who know how to stand when the pressure is on. But ultimately, I want our children to inherit, inherit a church where there's a group of people who know God, not just know about Him, but actually know Him in a personal and an intimate way. Because that's the thing that brings transformation. In fact, Daniel says, they that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Many people can know about God, but not really know God. Come on, God wants to turn the hearts of those who are older here towards the young. It's got to go from the fathers to the son. We've got to pass the baton on to the next generation. And, and that happens when we're filled with the Spirit of God, because ultimately you cannot pass on what you're not in position on. Come on, friend, where are you right now? Do you carry a God dream? A God dream, not just for your life, but for the next generation. Because I really believe God's stirring the hearts of men and women to rise up and say, hey, I'm going to live out my God-given potential so my kids can live out their potential in God. God wants to do amazing things in this next season. And we're believing with you and we're trusting that God's going to do a miracle in your life. I pray if this message has touched your life, that you'll take action, that you'll do something about it, that you wouldn't just hear it, but you'd act upon it. In fact, right where you are right now, how about you just ask this question? Holy Spirit, what would you say to me? And then when you hear the Holy Spirit, why not put that into place? Because we serve a God who never fails, who never disappoints, but comes good on every word. Maybe you're listening right now and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Friend, God loves you and God's for you. He's got a better plan for your life than you got for yourself. It's our sin that separates us from God. Here's the good news. Jesus died and paid the price of our sin so that we might know freedom, so that we might live in God's original intention. Friend, if you don't know Jesus, He's just a prayer away. And if you say a simple prayer, God, I believe in you today. I trust you with my life. I acknowledge my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. And I acknowledge what you did on the cross. I believe God will come and meet you right where you're at. And you can know a new life that's found in Him. You don't need to live your life governed by past mistakes. You can have life in you. And that's found in Jesus.